Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. Today we'll be talking about bully coaches and what they can do to the psyche of a high school player, no matter how talented that player is. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Courtside Culture. Be sure to check out these other coaching-focused podcasts on the Hoopheads Pod Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and The Green Light. Also, be sure to check out our team-focused NBA podcasts, Cavalier Central, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Hashtag Lakers, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, Knuck If You Buck, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, and At The Buzzer. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spelled A-R-Y-S-E. And use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grinjinski and today we're talking to Cleveland Clinic psychologist Dr. Scott B. Dr. B is an expert in cognitive behavioral psychotherapy and concentrates his clinical practice on anxiety and mood disorders. Dr. B is also a psychotherapy trainer and supervisor in the adult psychiatric residency training program at Cleveland Clinic. And he once worked with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Dr. B, thank you so much for joining us here on the Courtside Culture Podcast. It's really a great pleasure to be with you, Dave. Thanks for having me. So, Dr. B, I really wanted to get you on the podcast because a lot of what we're talking about here is positive psychology that coaches can use to create a better environment for their players and parents, but still get the same results they're looking for in the win-loss column. So, Dr. B, my first question for you is, can you explain a little bit about what positive psychology is? Sure, Dave. Uh, Positive psychology has been around uh, for a little while. It was really a field that was developed by a renowned psychologist and researcher, Martin Seligman. And rather than focusing on human deficits and problems, it really is focused on optimal functioning, uh, how we can be better, how we can grow, how we can have better lives, happier lives, and feel greater contentment. And it, I think, has uh, easy translations into athletics, uh, where we focus a little bit more on how we can grow and reach our potential uh, through positive efforts rather than constant corrections. 
So this isn't so much about like focusing on what's wrong with an athlete's like well, the way they're playing or their form. This is more about pointing out what your players are doing right and what they're doing well. That's exactly right. I think uh, it's really uh, growing in our wisdom that paying attention to what a person has capacity for and growing that is where the good fruit's going to grow. We do that in psychotherapy. We try to find where advantages, where people are skilled, and we try to grow that. It's not that you can't correct athletes, that it's certainly part of coaching, but we start with what's right and encourage that uh, and create a safe environment, you know, where even if we are correcting, it's done in a way that uplifts the player. Uh, We're instilling positive belief that they can grow. Uh, in their potentials. And in that climate of safety, people are much more able to try new things and actually hear the coach. Well, yeah. And it's all about, you know, making the player feel comfortable. I mean, one of the, one of the reasons I, you know, wanted to start this podcast and do this podcast is because I had my confidence crushed, you know, in, in ninth grade, uh, and I was playing basketball, you know, and, you know, in grade school, you're the man and you get to high school and yeah, everybody's a little bit better, you know, but I, I think, it's so important for the cult, the coach, to be able to, you know, to 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 really keep that positive mindset of each player, no matter how good they are, because the, you can break a, a a player's confidence in a matter of seconds with 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 words that you say to them. What do you think about that? I think we're learning more and more about that. I uh, join you, Dave, in having some uh, confidence and soul crushing experiences when I was younger. And uh, I think we've learned a lot more about the human psyche and about how humans flourish and how we get better. And uh, back in our day, David, I'm not sure that we knew as much on the research side. Positive psychology didn't exist. And so coaches were left to their devices. And I think what we're talking about is about coaching coaches on how they can get the best out of players uh, not just the best players, but players that may not be the best, but have great potential. And it's really, you have to be pretty flexible as a coach. Uh, not everybody can be coached in identical ways uh, and expect the same outcome. So I think coaching is getting a little bit more complicated, but I think we're in an era where we can, you know, grow human beings and human uh, behaviors without the confidence crushing negative aspects that you and I are describing. Yeah, you make a good point because I do think that, you know, and and the way I end my podcast is, you know, you can take your players from good to great. You know, if you're if you're focusing on building up their strengths and you mentioned it there, you're like like you, you know, there may be opportunities coaches are missing with some of their players because they're they're not letting them reach their potential because of their coaching style. Yeah, if the, if the emphasis is solely on winning, and everybody likes winning more than losing, if it's solely on that, I think that can become an interference to really growing players. And there are plenty of stories at every level of athletics at people who are dark horses that you know reach a potential that no one uh, suspected in them, aside from maybe one or two individuals, including their coaches. And you know, positive psychology is all about what you described there, Dave. That is taking somebody from good to great and believing in that potential and creating that climate, you know, for that person, but also within a a team atmosphere as well. 
well, one of the consistent messages that I'm hearing from coaches is, especially, well, coaches that I've talked to that, that have been coaching for a long time, whether it's, you know, 10 to 20, I'll say 10 to 20 years. The guy, you know, the, the, the guys and girls have been doing it for a while. You know, I ask them, I go, look back on, you know, when you started and where you're at now, how different are you? And, and they say, I'm very different because they say, well, you know, just like you mentioned, back in our day, the style, I, I think every, every, most every coach, it, it was, it was almost that bully coach mentality where now I think we need to get away from that and start to shift. Do, do you see that or did you experience that too when, when you were playing that bully coach style? Yes, I, you know, recall specific coaches, Dave, that uh, would correct me and yell at me. And yet, if they did that within the spirit of really trying to help me grow and develop, I tolerated that very well. When we had a sense or I had a sense that the coach was merely concerned about himself or something else that was much harder to swallow and profit from. And I think coaches these days are much more enlightened. I think we've gotten away from that bully mentality. I think there were a handful of players that may have profited by that approach. There are an awful lot uh, who were alienated by it um, and drifted away from the sport because of those mentalities. Again, we are understanding more and more about human beings and how to achieve human potentials these days than ever before. Now, I mentioned you worked with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, you know, we're talking primarily about high school kids here, right? You know, the, the psyche of, you know, of a, of a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old kid to me is fragile. I know because I have one of them and, and, and I'll get into that a little bit more. But but your experiences, you know, working with professional athletes and I, you know, I don't need you to name name. I don't want, you know, I don't. But do you see some of the same things? Are there are there are there parallels here? Are there compare? Can you compare, you know, even these these the, the pro athletes to to the younger athletes and some of the things they experience and, and mentally what they go through? Sure. I mean, uh, professional athletes have sentiments just like young athletes do. You know, perhaps they're more mature. And one thing that we notice in professional athletes that we try to help younger athletes appreciate is emotional intelligence. A lot of people that reach really elite levels have kind of what we might consider compressed sentiments. That is, they don't get too up when things are going their way and they sure don't get too down when things aren't. That they try to stay in a mid-range where their effort is pretty consistent uh, time after time. It's a skill that we'd love to develop in young athletes and and can be teachable. Uh, But certainly professional athletes are prone to confidence-crushing experiences, uh, losing streaks, career-altering experiences uh, in uh, their relationship with coaches and other staff members. Well, and that's, you know, like in baseball, I mean, how many times did you have a good game and then the next day, you know, the next game, you're putting your clothes on the same way, right? You know, and and, and doing all those things. You know, it's about those superstitions. Like, you know, athletes will 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 take any, I mean, any advantage they think they can get. But, you know, Yogi Berra was right. <laughs> you know, as crazy as his sayings are, I mean, really, it's 90, 90% mental. And honestly, Scott, I will tell my son, it's 99% mental because you could have all the talent in the world, but if your mindset is not there, it's just not going to translate. That's it. And I think one of the beauties of athletics is the skills that we learn in athletics are transferable over into real life, that real life is very much that way also. So much of it is how we manage the thoughts, emotions, and then ultimately behaviors, uh, you know, directed at that activity, whether it's a sport, a job, or a relationship. 
Well, and, you know, we're talking about coaches here, but when, you know, in the real world, it's your boss, right? It's, you know, it's your manager. You know, they could convey some of the same either positive or, or negative experiences in the workplace, I think. No question. And one of the things that we had chatted about a little bit day before doing the broadcast is, you know, really encouraging coaches to be very secure coaches. It's great to be in a workplace with secure bosses where they're not playing out their insecurities. And that's something you would want coaches to kind of take their own inventory on. Do I approach this with a sense of security? Do I have a gift to give? Or do I try to derive something from it? Am I trying to get something rather than give something? And I think really secure people do kind of show up with a gift to give. Uh, that creates a lot of good energy, gets you leaning into the experience, and it also helps you tolerate some of the bumps along the way. Well, and that's that's the, one of the other things that that the coaches talk about, you know, when they when they were younger to now, like they've they've almost decompressed a little bit and let go of that, you know, win at all costs thing. You know, and it's like it's a, they're like, you know, it's not that I don't care about when I care about winning as much as the next person, you know, but they as they've been at it a while, they've learned to have more fun. And then, you know, that transfers to the kids. The kids have more fun. Everybody, you know, plays a little bit you know more they're they're looser you know everybody's having a little more fun but you know what the wins are still coming that's it and i i think there are attitudes that we can develop that help us be resilient uh even when it doesn't quite go our way they say you learn more from losing than winning there's always something to be derived if we hang our good feeling and our egos on only winning that's a pretty risky proposition. It's not always going to go our way. You know, even the best, best athletes have to find ways to tolerate the down moments with some sense of resilience. Uh, and that's one of the positive psychology elements that we're trying to grow. Do we come back from tough times? Do we reset? It's the next play or the next pitch and not dwell on it or have that active in our brains for very long. But, you know, just looking at the road that's just out ahead. I think, you know, and, and you and you you touch on a good point, because I think part of the insecurity of of coaches who and in my mind, I think are doing it the wrong way is they don't allow our players to make mistakes. They might take a chance on a kid, put him on the floor. He turns the ball over one time and he yanks them right out after a minute or two. You know, that does nothing for the for the for the psyche of of that player, you know, and now his confidence is he knows his coach doesn't have any confidence in him. He doesn't have any confidence in himself, you know. But if if you if you can release those insecurities, you you know, to me, I think part of the you know creating the 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 right team culture and creating the the positive mindset in each of your players is it has to start at the top with the coach showing confidence in their players what do you think that's it i mean that's really where it starts it's going to trickle down from there as you gave that example dave i thought nah you want to put that ball right back in that kid's hands let him have another (laughs) attempt at it right you have to grow uh, from those tough moments. And uh, yeah, you don't want to demoralize your players. Uh, they, you know, that will not ensure winning. A demoralized team rarely has a good time. And I think they win less often as well. And I, another thing I've seen is, you know, the the rest of the team sees that. And I think the rest of the team feels that. And And so I think each player is now thinking, well, am I on a short leash like that? 
And then if they go out there and it happens to them, okay, now you got two kids with no confidence, you know? And then the, the next guy in line is thinking, well, am I in that boat too? Where, where, where am I? I mean, do you, is it, is it like winning is infectious? Could confidence crushing be infectious as well? Well, sure. I think you're describing uh, fear, right? If fear can be contagious and if people are playing fearfully, they're, they're not reaching their, you know, peak level of performance, you know, they're, they're playing not to lose and playing to win takes some risk. Uh, it takes a coach that has confidence in you and is going to allow you to make mistakes. We know kids and professional athletes play too tight if they're trying not to make mistakes. Well, and, you know, and, and something I learned from you a long time ago is you control what you can control. So even if the player is controlling what they can control, whether it's taking out their shot, extra shots after practice or showing up early or staying late or, you know, whatever it is, they're, they're controlling all that they can control. If they get into that game and they're yanked after one minute, I think all of that just kind of crumbles and and because now they're not in control of that. That's so that's something, you know, and that's where the fear comes, right? Because we're the fear of the unknown is what we're always most concerned about. It's fascinating, Dave. Um, there was an old statistic and it kind of went like this. What are the how many instances of praise does one need for every instance of criticism to keep them working optimally? And it's a crazy high ratio of 16 to 1, 16 instances of praise for every criticism. And what you describe there is, you know, a crushing bit of criticism. How long does it take for somebody to recover from that? Maybe they don't recover from that. Uh, our brain has a much greater remembrance for negative experience. We have many more words for negative emotional states than positive ones. And we know that those things stay with us a lot longer than positive experiences. So you, you have to know a little bit about human beings and human brains to be a coach these days. Well, yeah, and every and every kid is different, right? Because, you know, there, there, there are some kids who may be, you know, more vocal, you know, and there are some kids who just, you know, they, they just maybe aren't the most comfortable going to the coach and, and asking them about some things would, would, would you like in, in my mind, I think maybe it's on the coach just from my experience coaching kids and stuff, you know, is it on the coach maybe sometimes to approach the player as opposed to waiting for the player to come up to the coach and start that communication? So we have to rely on the coach, particularly with younger players. We, we don't, know that every child uh, or young athlete has the capacity to approach an authority figure or a coach with a question they may have. I think it's ideal if the coach is creating a climate of safety where, you know, no question is a bad question, where they're extremely approachable. But I think also coaches have to know their players and know the ones that are more likely to be inhibited about, you know, asking a question, go check them out once in a while. Uh, you know, enter their world, uh, see how they're doing. Um, I think there's a real wisdom to that. As I say, kids these days are going to vary in terms of their willingness to approach individuals that they see as experts or authority figures. And that certainly includes coaches. Do you think the tech world that we live in now with, with kids in their phones, you know, all the time, do you think that's that's maybe contributing to some communication issues with, with the younger generation? It's a great point, Dave. I hadn't quite considered that, but I think the answer to that would be, of course. Right? I mean, we know that young folks are not um, practicing those sorts of conversations uh, as frequently as might have been the case with earlier generations. So, yeah, I think there is a lot of inhibition to face-to-face -face, uh conversations and, and things that might feel as though they could be tension-producing or even 
have a hint of conflict, that's going to be harder for youngsters. Uh, and so coaches have to be aware of that. I think it's really great to create a climate of safety where you really can't make a mistake in the manner in which you approach a coach or ask a question. Well, and in this climate of safety, how important is it for the coach when when they when they tell a player something something is very specific, you know? Uh, one example I used on a on a previous podcast is uh, I you know I I told a kid we had a, we had a kid a baseball team the, it was the thirteen year old team and 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 this kid was a fill in and we we admit we're in the playoffs now and we're a game away from the championship and and he showed up because he you know he wanted to be part of the team and you know and we were at full strength and I said listen I said you're not going to start I said but here's what's going to happen you're going to pinch hit I don't know where I don't know when but it's going to be a big spot and we are really going to need you and and he sat there with it, the whole game with the bat in his hand waiting for his opportunity and it opportunity came it was a close game we were we were uh you know it was a tie it was a pitcher's duel tie game we had a guy on second here he comes boom blast the double we take the lead everybody goes crazy you know and i mentioned this on the other podcast before it's like i don't if i have that don't have that conversation with him but then don't deliver on that promise you know, I, I just don't, we don't have the same result in my mind. I mean, do, do you, have you experienced things like that in, in your career, just talking to people? I think that's really just a great example of a, a few things. One is the directness of communication between a coach and a player to let them know exactly what it is so that that player has a real clear expectation uh, for how it might go for him. And uh, I think the other thing you allude to is coach has to be credible. You can't make false promises, right? And I think keeping the lines of communication open and direct, whether it's with players, you know, or parents becomes critical. And sometimes you have to deliver news that might not be delightful. I really liked the directness of that and the confidence that that displayed in that player simultaneously that have produced such a great outcome becomes memorable for you as the coach and for that player, for sure. I mean, I, and I'm no expert. Don't don't get me wrong. But I always, you know, I, I always try to find, and it goes back to, again, when I had my confidence crush. And I just remember how I felt. And honestly, the reason I coached is because I said, I am never going to let a coach do that to my kids. I will never let that happen. And, and so I would always, I, I mean, it, it didn't matter who the kid was. I would go to them and say, like, you, you know, I, I remember it was a CYO team I coached and you know there's a kid on that team I told him I said I said you know who Charles Barkley is you know who's Charles Barkley I said he's the round mound of rebound I go you know what you are you are our round mound of rebound I'm like you are so good at rebounding you know I'm like this is what we need from you we need you to get those rebounds and then clear it out to our guard so we can get back down the floor on the other end the kid loved it he embraced it he enjoyed it. You know, he loved being the round mounder rebound. You know, I, I don't know. And like I said, I'm not, I, I'm no expert. I'm just being goofy, you know, and, and here, you know, and the more research I did, I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of a thing, I guess it's positive psychology, you know, and, and I don't know. I just think for me with, with, with the kids to, to be able to just really carve out that role for them. You create that buy-in then, and, and everybody knows what's expected to them, and then it just all contributes to that, that team culture. Is, am I on the right track here? Yeah. I Again, I love the example there because 
simultaneously you're instilling confidence in that athlete and you're helping that person develop an identity, you know, for that team and the contribution they're going to make to that team. So that gets internalized. That gets them wanting to show up, wanting to play. That contributes to motivation, to leaning into the experience and to self-belief that I have something to give to this team. You get, you know, better action uh, from an athlete that is feeling that way and has some sense of identity for themselves and within the team framework. Well, and I think then when you put it all together, right, you're, you're coaching up the strengths, right? You know, and again, we're, you know, we're not saying you, you, you don't ever, you know, practice things that they're doing wrong or, you know, focus on a, you know, yeah, I don't, I want to, I don't want to use the word focus. You know, you, you know, you have to address weaknesses, you know, but, but when you get this collaboration of strengths, I think you can insulate a lot of the weaknesses and your team ends up being successful in the long run. Yeah, it's uh, also I think one thing that coaches might consider, Dave, is to have a bit of a self-reflective coaching style. That is, you know, asking an athlete, you know, what sorts of thoughts did you have about that game? What thoughts did you have about your performance? And maybe kind of getting them to, you know, initially speak about a couple of things that went right and worked out, were efficient and were consistent with team objectives, and then maybe think of a thing or two that they can work on. If that comes out of the mouth of an athlete, then you have something to build on. You know, often the coach can offer the same sorts of advisements then. Uh, A few words about what they saw that was effective, efficient, consistent with, you know, team goals and actions, and and then maybe reflect for a moment on something that person might work on in future practices and future competitions. Have you had the opportunity to work with coaches in the past, you know, who maybe were struggling with, with their style? And, and if you did, you know, without naming names, obviously, I mean, can you kind of explain what became of them? Were they able to learn and grow? Yeah, I think professional coaches like professional athletes, are always working on their games. Uh, They know in order to have longevity in their careers, they have to get better. And so coaches at all levels are ideally looking to improve coaching strategies and techniques. And a lot of times that involves not just the technical aspects of coaching and the sport or discipline, but of the communication patterns. And that's uh, what I've worked on most with coaches. Heck, Dave, I'd like to go back and work on that with a few coaches I was exposed to when I was younger. Yeah, yeah, and I would love for you to go back and talk to the coach that crushed my confidence too. One, one, you know, one of the uh, the the things that I'm hearing also from coaches is that their team culture, honestly, is is based on a lot of things that they do together as a team off of the court really has nothing to do with basketball. And, um, you know, it, it, it amazes me to, to hear, you know, you know, some of the better, some of the best coaches in the game talk about that. And then also admit that they didn't realize how much of an impact it would have on their team, not just, you know, like I said, off the court, but how it translated to their play 
on the court. Can you kind of talk about some of that, you know, whether it's, you know, the team dinners or, you know, like, you know, if it's team sleepovers or movie night or, you know, what are the, the, the head varsity girls basketball coach at, at North Ridgeville High School. One of their big things was th- she bought them all teas before the game when, you know, like, like smoothies before, before a game and they played super well. So guess what coach had to do before every home game, <laughs> you know, she, and she did it and she did it. And like the one day they were doing, they were doing vaccinations at the fire station next to the school. They got the whole street shut down. The parking lot's closed off. She's got to walk through the snow over to the smoothie place to get all the smoothies, but she did it because she knew what it meant to the psyche of her team, you know? And, and to me, I just think when a coach recognized that, and then again, follows through on it, you know, it, it, it's amazing the impact that it has. Do, do you have experiences like that with some of the people that you've talked to? Yes, it's funny. And um, the business world or uh, corporate world and, and even at places like the Cleveland Clinic, they might have retreats where they engage in team building experiences. And so, of course, we can have team building experiences with teams. You know, it helps players feel connected to each other, to the coach. That feeling of connection gets you wanting to move more in unison. I have a remembrance of a baseball coach when I was just a kid. I was 11 years old. His name, I could probably say, is Brian Brakeman. He went on to be a guru in announcing high school wrestling in the state of Ohio. He was routinely ranked wrestlers at the high school level long before the internet and put out something called the Brakeman Report. But long before he did that, he was my baseball coach when I was 11. And he had a way of making all of us feel special. Uh, and and wanting to play for him. And part of it was the activities we had outside of the practices or the uh, baseball games. And uh, they were memorable. He took photographs of us and, and shared those. And all of those things create camaraderie, a shared mission, get people wanting to show up. I was a person that loved practice, you know, partly for those reasons. And I think if you get your players to love practice, that's going to be a great way for the team to grow also. And yeah, anything you do that looks like you care about those folks, uh, that you care about the team and that they can care about each other is going to profit everybody. And the coaches are going to reap the benefits of that too. So, one, you know, one thing I want you to touch on because positive psychology and tell me if I'm wrong is different from sports psychology. I think we used to, you know, it used to only be sports psychology that we talked about here, but there are dif- differences here between positive psychology and sports psychology, right? Yes, I think there's some overlaps, but originally positive psychology was directed at, you know, optimal human functioning and feeling states. I think. Uh, that was kind of independent of the sporting world. But I think because of its appeal, because of the results that we saw in the lives of human beings that were uh, practicing and participating in positive psychology interventions, it had a natural kind of gravity to move toward uh, the the sporting world and and coaches as well. So what about parents? Because I will tell you that I I, I know that whatever is happening to the player when they get home it is transferred to the parents and whether it's positive or negative and in this case we're going to talk about the negative things right 
What advice would you give to parents who maybe has a, you know, they have a child who's playing for a coach who maybe just doesn't understand the power of positive psychology and it's com- coming home every day, you know, with with the story that, that, or, you know, they walk in the door and you just, you never know what, you know, what you're going to get as a parent. How can a parent handle a situation like that? Well, I think it's great, again, if you can create some safety for that child of yours to be exactly as they are, that they can express themselves without being judged too much by you. So I do like open questions. What thoughts did you have about practice today? You know, what what sorts of feelings did you have, you know, about the game? You know, what what went well for you? You know, how are you feeling about, uh, you know, being on the team? You know, those, having that openness, uh, that kind of conversation with a kid can mean a lot. Uh, if, if they are having a rough time in their efforts on a team or in an individual sports, you want them to have a place where, you know, they can share some of that, that they don't have to internalize it or be stoic. And it also gives the parent an opportunity to, you know, consider, you know, options, new ways that they might think about it, behave toward it, even ways in which they may be able to be resilient in the face of some of the challenges they're facing with that team or that coach. What and you know, I'm a big. You got to talk to the coach, right? But if you keep sending it, you keep sending your your kid in there, you know, to talk to the coach, and they're coming home worse off than when they left. You know, at what point do you think a parent need? What's the, what are the steps? I mean, you know, obviously, I think go to the coach first. But at what point do you think a parent should step in and talk to the coach? When it's pretty clear that a child is being primarily injured uh, rather than, uh, you know, uplifted or gratified by the experience that they're having and don't want kids to be injured, uh, particularly, it's natural that, you know, when things don't go away or uh, a child's way or a young athlete's way that they may have some difficult sentiment. Again, parents can contribute to, you know, fortifying that person, uh, their child for the sake of resilience, you know, if the kid's being hurt, we want to be an advocate for our child. I think the way in which a parent approaches a coach is pretty critical, too. I don't think you can come at them with uh, your claws out. I think you have to have a reasonable approach uh, to a coach. I think it's ideal for parents to maybe just say, would it be okay if I speak with you for a few moments about my kid? You know, ask for permission first. Uh, you know, before you, you know, start into any kind of problem solving conversation with a coach. Is is this a conversation that maybe you, you want to try to Oreo, you know, where you kind of put the good stuff, you know, uh, on the ends and, and you, you put the bad stuff in the middle? That's probably a great idea for just about any problem solving conversation. Hey, coaches ought to do with players too. notice what they're doing right and what they're skillful at. Maybe offer them a suggestion or two and then leave them with some good feeling. Yes, I think. You know, it's great for parents to approach coaches that way. Coaches have feelings, too. And, well, and uh, yeah, they don't want to be sorry. ambushed. Go right ahead, Dave. Yeah, but uh, no, I was going to, you know, I was going to say, because it's like, you know, when, when when parents get wrapped up in this, you know, it, like it, it consumes them. I, I mean, I've seen it, you know, and I, honestly, I've experienced it. You know, I remember I was talking to somebody once and they're like, oh, but like in a year or two, this it's just not going to matter. You're going to look back on it. And you know, I'm like, my response to that was, I, I agree. It's probably it's probably not going to matter. But you know what? It matters right now. 
And so, you know, it, it needs it needs to be a you need to figure out a solution. And that's why, you know, I'm so big on the positive psychology, trying to keep everything as positive as possible, you know, even as a parent. You know what I mean? It's interesting, Dave, because I go back to what we were speaking about earlier in our conversation. The absolutes of a practice, a, an outcome of a game, or even the outcome of a season may not be important a little ways down the road, but you described confidence crushing. You remember that, uh, and kids remember that, and parents remember that too. So even though in that moment, you know, um, or, or, or the outcomes themselves may be forgotten. These sentiments are not forgotten. The narrative we create in our heads, the narratives that the kids create, you know, are much more lasting. And it does matter both at that moment and probably a little bit more lastingly than people realize. Not in the absolute remembrance, but how it imprints, you know, an athlete, a kid, uh, a parent, a coach, you know, those are where the lasting effects are. Yeah. And, you know, and we're not talking about the whole give everybody a ribbon thing here. This is about, you know, this is about the, the psyche of your team, you know, from one, one through 12. Right. And making sure everybody under, you know, has a role, understands their role, you know, and they can show up for work every day knowing exactly what they what they need to do. To me, it just it just changes everything you know from from top to bottom when you can when you can kind of when you set that straight i just think every player it just it like i said everything else starts to fall into place including the wins yeah i think what you say i like the word straight you know being reasonably direct setting you know clear expectations I, i think coaches can do a great job with parents before practices or a season even begins if the coach is clear about their methods, uh, about how they regard that athlete. If they can be clear about expectations up front, that is going to take care of a lot of upset, all right? Because there will be bumpy spots, but if the expectations have been set early on, you know, often, you know, parents tolerate some of those bumps and, and so do athletes. It's when we're not communicating or we're guessing. Nobody likes to be in a relationship where they're guessing. And that's true whether you're in a interpersonal relationship, at work, or, you know, if you're playing for a team. I saw that firsthand. I saw every every player on a team guessing and this team just didn't just was never ever going to reach its full potential because you can't play when you're looking over your shoulder wondering you know is this the second something goes wrong am i coming out it's just there's no way you can play that way and i think if you look at coaches that are highly regarded at every level their ability to be direct in their communications with players is pretty much at the top of the list of their skill set is that the advice you would give to somebody who, I mean, to any coach, whether they're, they're just starting or maybe they've been at it a while? Like, is that the most critical advice you could give a coach? Yeah. You know, obviously you're going to be an expert in that endeavor, in that sport uh, to even gravitate in the direction of coaching. I, I'd say believing that you have a gift to give and becoming a really good communicator knowing that the communications of expectations really reduces tension for everybody. Believe it or not, Dave, it works that way in medicine. When a a physician is able to enter your world and ask, you know, what do you expect from this visit? 
people feel a lot better when coaches are communicating that to athletes at every level. Everybody has a chance to feel pretty good. And the, you know, tension is driven by uncertainty. So when you're in a spot uh, where your role or identity or contribution is uncertain, it's really hard to feel good about it. I'll tell you what, this, you know, this is why I wanted you here, Dr. B. Like, I, you know, like you, you, you speak my language and I, you know, and I appreciate the insight. Is there anything else that, that, that maybe I didn't touch on that you would you know, want to get across, whether it's coaches, parents, or even players? If you had a player in, in, in front of you, you know, is there anything else to, to, to get across as far as, you know, maybe trying to, you know, to implement positive psychology or use positive psychology in their game? I say... You know, gratitude is actually a big part of positive psychology. It's one of the things that we can do kind of systematically to uh, create a better feeling state, uh, to rest better, to participate and play better. You know, as a coach, you can ask, uh, you know, your team, what are you grateful for uh, about what happened today? Express gratitude for the efforts that they're making. Uh, get players to notice each other positively and with some sense of gratitude, that's going to go a long way to building teamsmanship, sportsmanship, a camaraderie with the team. So that's another little simple element that's been an outgrowth of positive psychology that almost any coach could implement as part of the team culture. I say otherwise, Dave, you are great at uh, a comprehensive interview. Dave and I have known each other for a long while and uh, Nothing else to add beyond that, Dave. Well, I love to pick the brains of super smart people. And you are one to me. I I have so much respect for you, Dr. B. And, you know, all of our conversations over the years, you know, the interviews we've done. And, you know, and I know your background as an athlete easily translates, you know, into anything that I want to talk to, you know, I I talk about on this podcast, you know, and then obviously me knowing your, you know, your background, you know, with, with the Cavaliers, I just think that you are, you know, the, uh, one of the premier experts to talk about this and, you know, and you've taught me, you've taught me a lot over the years and I applied, honestly, like, you know, I think I, you know, it was just innate, you know, all my conversations with you, I was, you know, I was doing it, you know, on the sideline or, you know, in the dugout with, with these kids that I was coaching, you know, and, and it's led me to here. So Dr. B, I have to tell you, I mean, I, I really do think that, I mean, you, you helped, you know, kind of mold me as a coach without it. We, neither one of us knew it was happening, but you did. And I really appreciate that. Oh, I'll tell you, David, I'm so gratified by uh, those words. And um, for your listeners, uh, I'll tell you, Dave does his homework. Uh, he comes prepared every time. And I really admire how you take these ideas and implement them as a coach. It's a great gift uh, to your kids and all the athletes you encounter and hopefully for our listeners here, too. Well, I have you to thank. Now, you may not be thanking me for this because the last thing we do on the podcast is what I like to call first things last. And I'm going to present to you, Dr. B, a list of firsts. We need to know to start. And here we go. How about your first job? See, my first real job was selling the Cleveland Press newspaper on the phone. Really? Yes. Now, wait, now, I don't want to date you, but because uh, I remember, didn't the press go to a color version at one point? They had color pictures. Oh, I think it did. You know, I think it did. It was the it was the afternoon paper right around here. And we used to uh, call people and hope they didn't hang up on us or insult us and try to sell them uh, the, uh, the press at a discount. 
Well, I know you're a big music guy. What's the first record, CD, or cassette you can remember buying? The first record I ever bought, I tell this story, $3.99 at the Records to Go kiosk at the Southland Shopping Center. It was Billy Joel's Piano Man, and I remember it because I felt guilty walking home with the record. I didn't steal it. I didn't steal the money, but somehow that self-indulgence somehow felt bad to me. I was just 14. Do you still have it? Do you still have it? Uh, You know, I know I have it on my Spotify collection, but I sold my vinyl some years ago. But it was a great record. Still probably considered one of the great rock records of all time. Well, and how about this? Your last one. Do you remember the first movie you saw in a movie theater? Wow. Um, I can remember seeing The Sound of Music at the old Allen Theater, uh, which was a, a, a movie theater. You know, back in those days, they had intermissions. It was a very long movie. Still love that movie. Uh, But that's probably the earliest one I can recall, The Sound of Music. Dr. B, I cannot thank you enough for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast today. It was all my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. Well, folks, if you know a great coach who's doing great things, winning games, building a great team culture at the same time, we want to hear about them. Please reach out to me on Twitter at CourtsidePod1, on Facebook and Instagram at Courtside Culture Podcast. And remember, to build up the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad. Find them all the role and take them from good to great. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. And remember, build the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad. Find your players a role, each and every one of them. And take them from good to great. We'll see you next time.